0: Hi everyone, Dave here. You join me uh, on my lunch break at work as I'm here to introduce the uh, latest episode of the podcast Legends of the Spire. And this week, instead of it being a player, I actually spoke to the physiotherapist Emma Young. Now, Emma is a Chesterfield fan born and bred, uh, was lifted high on the shoulders of David Reeves when we beat Luton on the last day of the season to stay up all those many years ago and has been a fan and hooked ever since. She has had a really good career Uh, working her way through in the industry and became Chesterfield Head Physiotherapist and was here for a good while, including the whole of last season when obviously we really needed one. Unfortunately, there was lots of uh, big injuries during that time. She is now at Coventry City uh, where she's part of their physio team. And it was just great to have a chat with her really about the role of being a physiotherapist, what it entails and also some silly stuff as well about how far she can throw an energy gel and what's in her kit bag. Some good memories uh, of her time both supporting the club and also her time working for it. And we wish her all the best for the future. So I hope you find this an interesting and enlightening listen about the life of a physio at a football club. As always, I am at SpireLegends on Twitter and Instagram and Legends of the Ross Spire on Facebook. So please do get in touch. And it'd be great if you could like, share and subscribe. I will see you again soon. uh, And I hope you enjoy the pod. Here we go. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for thanks for coming and having a chat. Uh, I've had well, I've had kind of kind of had a few physios on before. Jamie Hewitt, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's okay. a few ex a few ex Chesterfield players. I think um Josh Thompson's now a physio at uh, Blackburn. I want to say someone like right, that. So okay. um, there are a few players that seem to have gone into it afterwards as well. Um, yeah, it's kind of a good way to kind of stay in football, isn't it, but not go yeah. down the precarious management route.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's a different option, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: yeah. So how how do you kind of how did you get into it? Where where do you start um, on something like that?
1: So for me, I've played football all my life. Um I've watched football all my life, but I've just been plagued with injuries. Mm. Um some really bizarre ones, um some like normal muscle ones and i was just injured all the time and i thought oh it's probably a good idea for go into that route of things because okay. i already have quite a good background in what to do um i also know how it feels which helps towards the empathy mm. side of stuff with players or patients in the future um so that's what got me thinking about going down that route um because injury cut my football my own football career short um and i thought i want to be involved in the game so this mm. is probably the best route for me to take really
0: so so what are your first like football in Memories then of either, of of line-up watching. Who did you go and kind of see? I
1: I have been a Chesterfield fan since I was, I think I started going to watch when I was about six. My first game was actually, it was the 8th of May in 2004. Um, It was Chesterfield versus Luton at home. And it was for us to stay in the league.
0: Holy moly. That's a great first match.
1: (laughs) I know. I think Glynne scored. Yeah. um, And I remember all the fans were on the pitch after. Um, And David Reeves actually picked me up and carried me around. And that uh, that was my first ever football game. My dad made me a Chesterfield T-shirt, put CFC on the front. I had pigtails in my hair with little blue and white ribbons in. Um, So that was my first footballing memory. And I got a season ticket after that until I was was 18 Hmm. at Chesterfield. So I've been a massive Chesterfield fan all my life. Um, And I started playing around the same time as well. Hmm. So I've just been football obsessed from an early
0: age. So, Grimsby Town are losing at Tranmere. Russian and Diamonds are losing at home against Port Vale. Brentford are winning at home against Bournemouth and Glynhurst. The chance here for Chesterfield. Glynhurst,
1: the ball down the field. Glynhurst scores for the Spirites.
0: Yeah, oh, good old Reevesy getting you into eh? A. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. No. Nah. It's,
0: like you say, it's a great first match either. It's, it was really weird that match because it was like, obviously I, I think at halftime we needed kind of results to go our way and they weren't going our way. And then, um, and then yeah, that last minute goal, it was like we just won the Champions League or something rather than staying up on the last day of the season. It was just yeah just magical. And then like season after, um, or a few seasons after that, we end up having Carlin Cup run, don't we? And then the whole
1: yeah. Niven yeah. and
0: Folan and that lot. So yeah, it was some nice, nice Saltergate memories. Where did you yeah. used to sit in Saltergate?
1: We're in the family stand mm. um, nearest the cop end. Yeah, um, was where we sat on them horrible wooden benches that gave <laughs> you winters. but it was um, all part of the atmosphere. So it was, it was good, really.
0: Yeah. Who Who were your kind of players that you really liked then?
1: So mm. my favourite chesfield player was Kevin Hurst.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: All time favourite. Um, obviously Jack Lester is up there I make sure all my playing shirts now are number 14 <laughs> when I play football not obsessed or anything um, Caleb Folan I always liked as well um, but yeah Kevin S was my ultimate favourite mm.
0: I, I remember I, I used to be I used to love, well I still do love Steve Bladowick and yeah. uh, and I had my picture taken with him at like a, one of the open days and I, and I was like I was probably about eighteen at the time. I felt like like a, like a, a six year old with a that's just it's been given tall, like the keys to a sweet yeah. shop.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very very tall.
0: So tell me about playing then. So so where were you kind of position wise on the pitch?
1: Um, oh God, I floated around a bit to be honest. Yeah. But when I started, it was more of a um, right wing striker role. Um, I played that position for since I was about six up until. Only recently, really, where I started playing right wing back um, mm. just because of my speed. And I've gone into centre mid a few times um, ended up in net. <laughs> um, I, can, I can slot into any position, really, just not centre half because I'm too short. Mm. Um, but I'd say I'm a striker predominantly.
0: So you're kind of like a Drew Tolbert then. You kind of go everywhere.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a player as well.
0: i know uh it's it's kind of i suppose a lot of players you just want to play don't you don't mind where you are slotting sometimes
1: yeah no i'm happy as long as i can do a job there it's um
0: it's all good Mm. so so what was the first bit of kind of education then to get you into on the route of becoming Um, a physio
1: so gcse is obviously you have to do um and then i went to do a levels at st mary's um so i chose biology pe and geography so all sciencey stuff but I was like I'm thinking of going more physio routes so I tried to centre more on the physical education and um, biology side of things um, and then um, I really struggle with my A levels I find it hard to do a lot of written work um, so I didn't get the grades I wanted to be a physio because you need like all A's Um it's quite hard to get into so I thought I'd do something different so I went into sport rehabilitation instead um, so I went to Hull you need to do that Mm -hmm. Uh, three years doing a bachelor's degree and did a lot of placements especially in like rugby league I was at Hull City Academy as well for a little bit um, Mm -hmm. doing a placement there and then I worked as a physio assistant in a private hospital Um, but then when you're doing that sort of course you're constantly told by other physios in sport that you're not going to get very far because you're not a physio Mm -hmm. Uh, and physios kind of have this prestige about them where if you're not a physio you kind of look down upon um, so I was like, I don't really want to be like pushed in a corner sort of thing. So um, I did a master's, like a pre-reg master's in physio at Chef Allen, um, which is a two-year course as well. So I spent five years studying. Um, so that got me into the physio part. And now I'm wanting to do another master's in sports medicine, mm-hmm. uh, which will further enhance like the football side of things. So
0: what, what picks up what, Uh, what differentiates being a physio to the other side of things what are the Um, different bits in that discipline
1: so sports rehab and sports therapy it's all about what we call msk so musculoskeletal it's just about uh, bones ligaments um nerve supply um muscles things like that whereas a physio they do a lot more to do with like the brain as well Mm -hmm. so um leading into strokes um parkinson's stuff like that and then they also do a lot of chest physio so to do with the cardiac and respiratory system which you don't touch on at all in sports rehab Mm -hmm. so um, I'd say physio is a lot more medical um, whereas sports rehab is literally just focused on bones and muscles so um, I wouldn't say it's easier um, but I think there's a lot more dangers when you do physio because obviously you're dealing with someone's life in some aspects um, physios work in intensive care like suctioning patients, looking after their airways and stuff stuff mm. like that. Um, a lot more medical, I'd say, physiotherapy.
0: Yeah, of which of which, doing the job that you do, you don't know what's going to happen kind of exactly. day by day, match by match, do you, I suppose? Yeah, so...
1: exactly. And then you can get, like, some players might come in with like a neuro condition that you might think is MSK if you're a sports rehabber, but actually there's something underlying there that needs a different approach to it. Mm. Um, and just having that slight bit of medical awareness um, can actually be a lot better in terms of a treatment plan. So, Yeah.
0: So what were your first kind of experiences kind of going on to the pitch then as a physio? When did that all kind of start?
1: On the pitch? Mm. So um, I did a little bit at uni, like um, we for part of our placement we had to look after some of the sports teams um like on a Wednesday like books Leagues so I used to do like the women's football and the men's football normally um a little bit of rugby league um so I'd say that was my first memory but first proper like on your own no supervisor um I was working for Clipston mm-hmm. we were step six at the time um I'd say that was my first memory and it was great really because everything was just proper bog basic mm. um like you don't have any of the backup it's literally you're on your own you don't have any equipment so if something does happen it's a lot of quick on your think, like on your feet thinking sort yeah. of stuff but I'd say that was my first memory um, and then luckily I got into Chesterfield Academy and so I worked with cookie, um for I'd say about two years and then I started working at Mansfield Academy at the same time I'm not proud of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you i got to earn a, to
1: a <laughs> Exactly. It, it, it was um, experience as well, because I think Chesterfield had lost their academy status. Mm-hmm. Um, so they weren't classed as a proper academy, whereas um, Mansfield were cap three, I think. Um, so it was just more, it was more of like a CV thing, you know, to enhance my learning um, doing different things. And then luckily um, I ended up in Chesterfield's first team, um, cause I think James Rome needed a physio and I don't, Nick Brink, um, mm-hmm. he didn't have the right pitch side qualification. His was South African and the FA were being a bit funny about it. So they needed someone. So Cookie put my name forward and rest is history from there really.
0: <laughs> so going to Cookie then, obviously mm-hmm. I've had him on the podcast. I, I'm still, it was one of the weirdest days when he rang me up cause I, I sent him a very, I sent an old profile on LinkedIn a message thinking is i think he was still down as like portsmouth manager on there or something i was like yeah. there's no way he's answering that and then he just rang me up he's like it's yeah. paul cook and i'm going sorry <laughs> who and it was paul <laughs> even to this day i think oh, my lord but he is just uh, a very infectious character isn't he
1: yeah yeah um it was great like on the injury side of things he was brilliant. um it was really relaxed it was like if they come back when they come back there was no rushing um uh, which was very very different to um obviously how other managers have been mm. um, but yeah it was actually really chilled uh, which again it was like polar opposite to what I'd experienced he was just so relaxed about everything always had his cup of tea in his hand <laughs> um so I was like oh um, gun makers a brew so um it was just it was just completely different just so much more relaxed really mm.
0: I've, I've always I've always wondered um silly question number one uh, how does he take his how does he take his tea
1: Oh, God, you've tested me now. It's been a while.
0: Um you <laughs> have sugar or not? He's
1: not actually that fussy. It was Just, like, I'll check it out, it comes, really, no. uh, which was quite nice because it was yeah. less stress making him a cup of tea.
0: That's good. So, <laughs>
1: but, yeah, sometimes go for coffee on the rare occasion, but it was more of a cup of tea.
0: More of a cup of tea. Good, good. <laughs> Clear that one up. Um, <laughs> so what's so then, actually, being the uh, the first team physio for Chesterfield, that must have been a bit odd. To have it, then gone full circle from Saltergate on Reeves's shoulders to
1: it it was so surreal. That like even just being, you know, like assistant to Nick, um, it was just I just couldn't believe it sometimes. I I was like, I can't believe I'm here because I've been mm. obviously a massive fan all my life. My fam, like my dad, um massive Chesterfield fan, all his friends, all my mates Chesterfield fans. So it was just actually weird being in the middle of it all. Yeah. Um, but I just, it was just so surreal. It's like a dream come true, really. I always said when I started out, I was like, that is where I want to be. That is like the highest point of my career I could ever think of. And I'd reached it at the age of 21. Um, no, 23? 23. Yeah. So it was, it was crazy, really.
0: And, uh, and
1: it kind of opened my eyes to what else I can go on and do. Mm. Um, but yeah, Chesterfield's always going to be a big part of my life.
0: For Chesterfield, and indeed the third corner of the second half so far. Hewitt with it. Willis
1: arriving, but headed clear by Eustace. Driven back in. Oh, he's gone in! He's gone in, and it's David Reeves at the back post. The ball driven in. I think it was by Marcus Ebdon that drove the ball in, but David Reeves gets his hat-trick. Yeah.
0: And, and do you actually do you get to... Do you get to enjoy a match? Uh, you're kind of always on... I suppose you're always or, always primed and ready, aren't you? Uh,
1: yeah. If you need it, but
0: at the same time, do you get to enjoy it?
1: Um, yeah, you do. You get, I find you get very caught up in the mix of stuff, like the emotions and stuff, you know, when it's a really tight game. But then there's some times where I can't even remember what's happened in a game because I watch legs. So mm. I don't know where the ball is half the time. Um, what you tend to do as a physio, you watch like slightly behind play because normally stuff happens off the ball. So um, a lot of stuff you kind of get mixed up with what's actually happened because I'm too busy watching everyone's legs. Um, but I, yeah, you do get caught up in it. So,
0: is it. Is it one of those where you're kind of looking for players grimacing and stuff like that as well?
1: Yeah. yeah Seeing what
0: the expressions box, are on their faces yeah, and stuff like that.
1: A grimace, a slight change in their movement pattern because um, you can tell when a player's holding back as well. Um, mm. Yeah, so it's just, it's just things like that. And say your players had a knock and monitor them for about five minutes after. I'll just um I just scan back and then go back to where players I just keep scanning um until I know they're definitely cleared.
0: And I suppose you get to know all these players quite well, don't you? So you'll kind of get to know know what they're like as people how much what their pain thresholds are like or I don't know you, yeah. you get to know who who can deal with what I suppose everyone's yeah, different The
1: medical staff are very in the thick of everything um especially like in most clubs where the physio room is located it's right next to the changing room so you get to hear uh, so many different things so you get to know the boys really well um compared to obviously the coaching staff that are normally a bit further away but like the medical staff are always in the mix of it so mm. Um, but I think that's better because if we know them really well, we know when they're a bit off it or um, it makes it easier for them to open up a little yeah. bit, speak to you a bit more, um, which I found it's actually really helpful.
0: Yeah, because it's interesting. Having spoken to like um, people like Tommy Lee and Drew Tolbert and people that have, have had to deal with quite persistent injuries and things yeah. like that, they kind of spoke about how the the attitude has maybe changed over the years and that actually – in the early days, Tommy Lee was saying you just wouldn't, if if you had a something hurt in training or stuff like that, you'd you'd not tell anyone, mm-hmm. and you just kind of take a few painkillers, kind of hope it went away, try and manage it yourself. Whereas you said there's now a bit of a change that there's a bit more openness to try and um, say if something's hurting. Um, yeah,
1: we we give them all a question like you normally give them a questionnaire in the morning to say like how they're feeling, like how much sleep have you had, how was training yesterday, are you feeling sore today. Um, and then they can put what, whatever comments on they want. And none of the coaching staff see any of that. It's literally just medical. So then we can just pull them to one side and just say, look, what's happening. Um, but you do get your old-fashioned players, they're still there, which will just battle through anything. And I found that normally your centre-halves. Mm-hmm. Their leg could be hanging off and they still won't tell you anything. <laughs> and then I found the younger ones are a bit more open to uh, discussing about what's going on, Um so it's interesting trying to balance both sides, like trying to get a stubborn centre-half to actually talk about what their body's doing is um, quite a challenge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose it's your role sometimes to tell people they've got to come off when they don't want to come off.
1: Yeah, or, the, <laughs> yeah. the issue is that you say you need to come off. You tell the manager they need to come off, and the boy's like, no, I'm staying on, and I'm like, I can't do anything. Unless it's like a life-or-death situation, I literally, sometimes you can't do anything, Um it's down to the player and the manager a lot of the time, yeah. which a lot I, of people I, don't realize. So, yeah,
0: and I remember Jamie Grimes from a, a few games ago where he was saying, you know, he likes it best when there's kind of boots flying in the box and throwing his heads at, at things and stuff like that. Is
1: no, can <laughs> I literally sit there watching the game? He could just aim and go, Oh, <laughs> literally the whole game, and everyone's like, Emma, what are you doing? I'm like, I just can't help it, I just know what's going to happen, and it's just not good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, how does a match day? kind of work for you from start to how early do you have to get to the ground on like a, a match day
1: uh, so it's at Coventry we don't get there as early um because I find there's less to do because there's more staff so um you can share like responsibilities out so mm-hmm. everything's a lot faster but Chesterfield it was normally like three hours before um that was the meet time for staff but I used to get there about three and a half hours uh, before three and mm-hmm. uh, three hours 45 before um just to sort out like all the tape um all the under wrap that was gonna wear put the deep heat out put the vaseline out get the salts ready get the vaseline ready fetch the food from upstairs Um, help the sports science with the bottles stuff like that um and then the players would start coming in normally about one they'd start drifting through um and then from then it's carnage. Like they're all coming in last minute, going, "I need a rub. and I'm like, "I haven't got one pair of hands." Should have come in like ten minutes ago when I was free, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it was difficult when you were on your own. So I had massaging to do, taping to do, um, mobilizations to do. Um, it was all. It was very hectic, but it was it was quite good at the same time. Hmm. It's hard to explain. But yeah. Yeah.
0: do you, do you have lots of lists then of who who has what and. Because I know like your kit man generally has, have you got a separate list as well in terms of who needs, who uses what tapes and and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, you kind of, when you start to know players, you know exactly what they want. So normally I'll set out a set of tape for um, whatever players want. So some will have like a sturdy strap in, so I'll put that tape to one side and some just want a loose one. And I normally know, as soon as they walk in, I get the tape. I just know who's Hmm. having what. Um, And people have the same rubs over and over again. Because um, it's more like a superstition thing. Um, so yeah, you get to you get in a routine quite easily. So for me, it's it wasn't a surprise when someone had walked through the door. If you knew exactly what you were doing. It's just sometimes it yeah. to just too you much time to do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and in terms of drinks, so I've uh, I kind of like watching a bit of marathon running and stuff like that. And they all all have their own makeup of drinks that they will have uh, mm. on long distance runs and stuff like that. Do footballers have things like that as well? Do they have their own? specific brands that they like of certain electrolytes or things like that, or are they all just we, pretty we, much we water? Just
1: use, we literally just use what we buy them, mm. really. Um um it just felt like t- some of them didn't use electrolytes, some of them liked them. It was more player preference, really. Like some would just rather drink water mm. and some would like a few um tablets in their drink. Um so we'd make a few of them up before um or some would just be happy, you know, with one of the electrolyte gels, like energy gels. Um Whereas at Covent, Coventry, they do sweat testing. So um, someone comes in, they'll um, put something in one of the foll- follicles and just see how much they sweat. And then we can give them a tablet based on how much they sweat to put in their drink. And they're supposed to have one tablet per every 500 ml of water they drink, um, which is which is easier because it means we keep on top of their hydration, which just minimizes the risk of anything happening, really.
0: Hmm. And and the uh, and silly question number two, like do you get good at throwing gels onto pitchers? Because you you see it when there's a break in play, you'll see an energy gel fly forty yards at Curtis yeah, Western or something. <laughs> you throw
1: are a bit dodgy sometimes, you know, especially when it's cold. It's it's very nerve wracking in front of all them people. <laughs> but yeah, you get used to sweating gels around. So I always carry some in my run on bag as well because I know players all come and nick them when I run mm. on. So
0: yeah. And that was one of my questions in your bag. What's in your bag?
1: Oh, it's a secret. <laughs> um, when I first started, everything was in my bag. because I was like, I want to be ready for every different scenario, which is like the worst thing you can do. Because obviously when you run on the pitch, it's like, I can't remember where I've put anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I literally have three different compartments. I have like a, a blood section. Um, i have like an airway slash emergency section and then i'll have like an everything else section so um in the blood section it's normally like um glue so we use like a liquid band um vaseline nasal plugs um strips blasters chemo stop bandages stuff like that all in one section with some like spare gloves in my emergency section we carry airways with us normally so um, obviously say your players like just gone down or they've got a severe head injury and their um airway shorts. we need to open it um so i have a few different airways depending on the situation so if it's a cardiac arrest we use something called a superglottic airway so it's like a big thick gel like substance airway and then the other times you just use something called an opa which is just a small plastic one that's more short term hmm. um i also carry like a, a pocket valve mask in there ever god forbid a Cardiac arrest happens. It's um, just easy access. Hmm. Um, Also carry a salbutamol inhaler for any asthma attacks Um, and an EpiPen as well because you just just never know. You never know what's going to happen. In my everything else, it ranges from different types of tapes that I might need, a bit of bandage, deep heat a big one because they all ask for Mm -hmm. it whenever I'm Like, oh, my legs a bit sore. Can I have some deep heat? And it's like... All right um so dp vaseline salts um vix and then in the bottle bits i'll have a bottle of electrolyte and then i'll have a load of gels and I normally carry a packet of sweets for myself as well <laughs>
0: <laughs> never get anyone stealing a wine gum when no, no.
1: Dent- denton horrendous <laughs> always nip my wine gums that guy
0: I-, I can imagine i can imagine and i suppose obviously you can't talk about any injuries or players or anything like because you're a medical professional so all that mm-hmm. stuff's confidential but um you'll have I imagine you'll have had some moments where you, already in your career uh where you've been like oh heck uh what do I do here um and you having to kind of think on your feet a bit just because like I say there's a lot of blunt force things that happen isn't there and and, and stuff like yeah. that throughout
1: yeah and I find with the National League it's very come and go so obviously at Chesterfield, Notts County, Wrexham, all the medical stuff's superb we've got everything we need the paramedics are there and um, when you go to places like Weymouth when all you've got is their club doc who's just um, a GP registrar that's free for that game um, I don't think there's any crowd paramedics because it's under a certain capacity I think it has to be over 5,000 for there mm. to need a stadium doc and um, paramedics Um, And then only one medical staff on their team. It makes situations very difficult for us to manage. Um, So, yeah, it's very think on your feet. How do we get this player off safely as fast as possible um, without compromising anything? Um, It it is difficult, Mm. but um, I find that as the facilities are better, it makes life so much easier. And also having like a Coventry, there's four medical staff. Um, There's one doctor and three physios. We have two interns as well. So it's it just makes life so much easier. We've all got designated roles. Um mm-hmm. so when an emergency scenario does arise, we all know exactly what we're doing. Whereas it's when it's just you, it's a bit like it's a bit scary. Yeah.
0: So how does it work over a over a season? How does your workload change? Because obviously you have your pre-season where everyone's getting up to fitness again and stuff like that. And then you get that point of the season where it's like, tuesday saturday tuesday saturday tuesday saturday when you're like six months into the season um yeah. how does that kind of all pan out for you over a season from start to finish
1: so pre-season is normally just filled with blisters there's so many blisters it's ridiculous um you often get like like burns as well from the grass you know like when they go sliding into so like um turf burns um blisters we get a lot of like really small muscle injuries um a lot of delayed on set muscle soreness that you have to manage um but pre-season is pretty in like uh, pretty easy because they've all had a massive rest and you ease them into it and you just build the load gradually and then bring it off and then build it back up um first part of the season is normally quite good but then when you hit that saturday tuesday saturday tuesday you start getting um major problems um again it depends on the management as well, right? It, how hard are they running them in training? Because if, if they're running them into the ground, you just end up with so many muscle injuries and there's nothing you can do to prevent them. Like we can do everything we can, the sports science will do everything they can, but phew, sometimes it just happens. Um and I find when it's like nitty-gritty end of the season, you end up with like a lot of contact base stuff, you know, especially when it's like big games. Um especially like to players that are doing well. Um you know, and like we had loads of contact injuries last year. It was horrendous. Um like muscle injuries weren't actually that bad. Um so I'd say it's preseason's quite easy. Just blisters and small muscle injuries. And then in the mid season it's a lot. You start getting your big like your big hamstrings. Um Get some groin, a little bit of quad, and then you get your contact based stuff, um, which is normally a longer time out. And then towards the latter end, you know, last few weeks of the season, it quietens off again. Hmm. So it's mid seasons in the thick of it. It's it's hard.
0: It's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I suppose with managers and stuff like that, I mean, I've, I've heard it before from uh, kind of uh, data analysts and stuff like that that I've spoken to where they've said, I can tell the manager all this stuff. He doesn't have to listen to it. (laughs) It'd be a bit frustrating sometimes if someone's not, if you're saying don't play that player and then you'll see him on the team sheet.
1: It's hard. So say your best player um, is loaded, is is in what we call a spike. So we use GPS and monitor their load and whatever. Um, And it'll flag up red if they've done more than they are used to doing, Mm -hmm. um, which normally happens for like Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. That's quite normal. But when you tell a manager this player could get injured and he's your best player, and you're like, you need to limit his minutes, doesn't go down very well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I can imagine.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but there has been times you'll say to, the, to to a manager, "Look, this player's gonna struggle if you play him this long." So I'd suggest bringing him off at this time. And there has been times where a player's played longer and they have got injured that same game. Mm. So the science is there, um, but it's it's so difficult because it's you need to win. So it's it's a very fine balancing act.
0: You never give a look to the manager as if to say, <laughs> told you.
1: Oh, I wouldn't dare. I, wouldn't dare. No. I,
0: I, suppose it's a, I suppose it's a pressured environment for a manager, isn't it? If they don't play the best player and they're yeah. on the bench, all the fans go, why has he put him on the bench?
1: Exactly. And there's always that chance that nothing's going to happen and then you've just wasted yeah. like an extra 25 minutes of them potentially scoring a goal. Mm. So it's it's difficult. But that's why you just have to communicate with one another and try and see what's best, really.
0: Yeah. And how's things changed then? So obviously you're at Coventry now, so you're championship. Um, And I had a chat with Graham Scott recently, the referee, uh, because he did the last game at Saltergate and obviously now Premier League. And he was saying how refereeing a National League match to a Premier League match is just way different because the pitchers are better. He can tell where the ball is going to run. There's less contact. In them, you know, they're just because they're technically better and it's a bit less blood and thunder. Um mm-hmm. from like your point of view, have you noticed a bit of a a difference in kind of what maybe what type of injuries they are or what happens on a pitch or things like that?
1: Um I fact we have a lot less contact. There's we've probably had any really well, we have, but there's a lot less and they're a lot less serious. So we haven't had any fractures or anything like that. Whereas at Chesterfield we had there was some horrendous ones. Mm. Um but we've had none of that. Um, we've had a few few big muscle injuries, but again, that's normal. But I found we've actually had less injuries than you do at a National League level. I don't know if it's because, cost- well, there's more staff involved for one. Um, but also Mark Robbins is actually, um, he does listen. So um, that does help when the manager listens. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, there's pff, a lot less contact. Um, I'd say it's more intense, like the games are a lot more intense. Um, but there's no like flying tackles or anything like that. So mm-hmm. a lot of its injuries can be like high speed running based um, injuries. So,
0: yeah. And uh, obviously, we've seen with Paul Cook this year that he's, yeah, uh, he does kind of keep players out of the team a lot longer when they've had injuries and stuff like that, which I suppose makes your job a lot easier, doesn't it? If uh, people are given the proper time to recover from injuries and stuff like that
1: yeah it does but on the other end of that you've got like we need to get them involved now because they're not going to improve at all if they're just sat with me like we can only do so much like sometimes the only way to get over that next bit of the injury is to actually play Mm. Uh, it's you can never replicate a game in training you just it's just totally different um all the gps data is different you just can't replicate it so sometimes just actually putting them in is a is a good thing, but it's, it's good to err on the side of caution, really. Quality needed from Mandeville. It's not a bad ball. And it came out to Weston! What a hit! Sublime strike from Curtis Weston. He could hardly have hit that any better. And Chesterfield might just have snatched this right at the end.
0: And how does the mental side of thing, as things work? Because obviously you're spending a lot of, you can be spending a lot of time with players that are off off the pitch for quite a long time. Um, They've kind of a lot of them, uh, young men, and uh, you know it's, it can be tough, can't it, for a lot of them? So you can end up becoming the um, the listening post, I suppose. Then you have to listen to yeah. everything. So how how does like that to all work?
1: Myself like a mother figure. That's um... Because I find what I've heard from a lot of players is previous physios, they don't listen, is what they say. Um, But I don't know if it's. I've had a lot of experience with injuries, and I found just letting, like, just talking to someone about your frustration helps. So I was like, I'm just going to listen. And yeah, we have banter and stuff like that, but they know that I can switch it off when I need to um, and turn it serious. But at Coventry, it's made easier because we have a sports psychologist. Um. But, yeah, um, it's, again, knowing your players. Like, some players won't want to talk and they're not bothered and you're not worried about them. But then there's some players that you think if they get an injury, they're going to struggle. Um, and I just kind of give them that option. I'm just like, I'm here if you need to talk. I kind of just open a door for them. And it's just their choice if they want to use it. Um, I find mixing things up as well, you know, like in a long-term injury, Um helps so what we tend um with some in uh, players that have been in the league they can go to St George's Park for like a week of rehab Mm -hmm. Uh, they get three weeks a year basically um and we find actually sending them there they've got it's a different gym it's obviously England use that gym so it's class they've got all the testing facilities so we get data on their injuries and it's with a different person so it just mixes it up a little bit and freshens it up which they always come back a little bit brighter after that
0: yeah yeah
1: um so I find mixing things up and just opening a door for them helps. Mm. But some players, again, opposite, just need to kick up the bum. Um it's just <laughs> it's just knowing them and just knowing who reacts best to what, really.
0: Yeah, I remember Jamie Hewitt um saying similar in terms of you know, all those around those Saltergate years. They kind of become part of his his team then because they end up being can sometimes be a bit isolated from the main squad, can't they? If they're kind of taken out that picture for a bit, so it can be kind of need a different squad to be a part of, I suppose, don't they during that time? Yeah. Yeah. And there's been a big thing in the, in the national league this week about contracts and they're going to change. They want to change their contracts because, and give them, you know, put them on statutory sick pay after a certain amount of time and give the employers a chance to, uh, just release them from contracts and stuff like that. I imagine it's you think like well, It's just ridiculous.
1: I think it's disgraceful, personally, because, well, injury is a part of the job in football. It is in any sport, cricket, rugby, netball, gymnastics, whatever. It's a risk. Um, Especially, like, a lot of footballers, like, their family and stuff, I know a lot of them, their wives don't work, hmm. so they'll stay home and look after the kids. Well, if you put them on statutory stick pay... <laughs> What are they going to do? Especially, you know, if they get like an ACL injury where they're out for nine months. It's, I think it's quite scary, really. Mm. And, and it's just, like,
0: why would, you, why would you fling yourself into a <laughs> tackle? You know, you, anything, that, anything that would put a bit of doubt in your head to like, you know, I can't afford to get injured right now. And I suppose, conversely, it could put pressure on people like you in your industry as well. In terms of you know, oh, I've got another month, or or they can terminate my contract. You've got to get me back within this period of time. It can put a lot of pressure on you, can't it?
1: Yeah, it's, I, I don't know how they've come up with it, but it's a terrible idea. I think it's terrible. Um, yeah. but I don't honestly don't have the words. I just I just think it's a terrible idea.
0: Yeah, they've obviously done it without any consultation <laughs> or thought whatsoever, and I see yeah. clubs like Macclesfield coming out and basically saying we're not going to do it. Uh, uh, Anyway, they'll will abide by contracts, which is you kind of hope that a lot of the clubs will will do that. Yeah, and then and then they override it. Interesting. So, so you're at Coventry now. So, um, Championship football must be nice to
1: mm-hmm.
0: nice to watch and uh, and be part of that as a bit of a new journey.
1: Yeah, it's it's lovely. Um, it's opened my eyes, that's for sure. Um, but sometimes I have to pinch myself. Like first game of the season we're at Sunderland away and the noise, it the atmosphere was just incredible. I'll tell you what, the one of the best atmospheres I've been at was it, it was Blackpool Away. Mm. It was just loud the entire time. Um Coventry took 4,000 fans. Um Coventry's got a great support. Um we've just swol- um sold out for Swansea Away as well. Um, but I the atmosphere's just incredible um the football's really intense and good there's not many crunching tackles there's to be fair we don't have to do much during a game um I remember at Chesterfield I was running on like a few times a few times a game whereas um, at Coventry like the head physio only runs on sometimes not even once a game Mm. um so that's completely different but it's I just find it mental where I am at the minute and I'm I'm enjoying it very much
0: and obviously, uh, this this then does this then open your eyes in terms of right actually from from here on in, you know what could happen next. You know it's uh, interesting. It opens a lot of a uh, lot of doors potentially for you, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, I never thought I'd be at championship level. At, I'm only twenty five, so f- for me, I was like, I just can't believe what's happening. Um, but yeah, it has made me think like, what could I actually go on and do? Mm. Um, I'd say my ultimate ambition, which I'm sure most physios are, is England, obviously. Um, but even just heading up my own apart- like department in anywhere in the league, ideally, and working in the Premier League would be an absolute dream. Um, but, yeah, there's just loads I want to do. But it's it's definitely opened a few doors. Uh, you get to meet loads of physios as well. Um, so networking, it's been great for me, which yeah. um, is going to help me out in the future, Um I'm also a bit less stressed as well, which is nice because obviously there's more staff. So um, it just makes life a little bit easier. And I find actually not being stressed means I can actually think about what I'm doing with each player, why I'm doing it, and mm-hmm. um, what else I could do maybe. Um, I can do a bit more research based things as well because I have more time. Um, so yeah.
0: Obviously, you'll, you'll not get to go to as many Chesterfield games. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, one. <laughs> Is no, it,
1: one.
0: yeah is that uh do you still kind of keep in touch when whenever they're on uh bt sport or the like or stuff like that yeah I'll, I,
1: literally i'll always listen in if i can to phil tooley <laughs> on 1866 always um but it's difficult because obviously we're playing and stuff so i will check yeah. like the half time scores and i always check the full-time score <laughs> uh, whatever game it is so yeah I, I, I do keep a close eye on what's happening
0: yeah Great. What do you think is going to happen this year? Then
1: I think I think oh I think it'll be us. Well, Chesterfield Knox County final playoff final. I think we might just nick it. You know. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I I agree with you. I've kind of thought from the start from the start of the season. I thought the playoff final. It's got is
1: that, and North County are going to be really disappointed. They've not got first place promotion, so they're going to be a bit down in the dumps and. Chesterfield are going to be like right, yeah. Um, we'll just nick it.
0: No, we need to do. Yeah, certainly the new players he's bought in seems to have done the business, so that's good. Do you keep in touch with any of the of the players from last from last year at all? Do you still?
1: Um, I sometimes I keep in touch with Nathan Tyson um, a little bit. Um, who else have I spoke to? I spoke to Manny a few times. Cabby I spoke to a few mm-hmm. times. Hayden, Hayden Hollis. Mm-hmm. Um, I to check in with how he's getting. A lot of them are like the ones that I've spent a lot of time with injury wise. Um But yeah, I'd say they're the ones I keep in touch with the most.
0: Yeah, because when I spoke to George Carline, he said there was like about a handful of them that became quite co- quite close just because they they were all in yeah, the gym all... together.
1: It was quite oh. nice though, because at least they weren't going through it on their own. It was mm. they a quite close knit group really, which. It's unfortunate, but it was better than, than being on their own. Yeah,
0: totally. Great. Well, good luck with the rest of the rest of the season with Coventry. Uh, obviously, outside chance of playoffs, so uh, so you never know. Could be it could be an interesting end to the season for you. And very then much. good luck with everything that goes on in the future. We'll uh, we'll we'll see you with uh, interest. I'm sure where you end up uh, end up going on to.
1: Thank you very much for having me, and good. let's hope Chesterfield. Winning the playoffs.
0: Fingers crossed. (laughs)